Hello, welcome back to The Science of Being in the World. This week we spoke to Dr. Florian Hahn. He's a friend I play Pokemon Go with and he spoke to us a lot about gene editing, different problems with that. Was, is gene editing how the Pokemon were created? Yeah. In this episode, we talk with Florian about what CRISPR is, which I think... It's all vinegar CRISPR. Salt and vinegar. <laughs> the, the gene editing technology, not the Gary Lineker-endorsed potato-based snack food, uh, his position on gene editing regulations, and just all of the cool science. On with the show. You are listening to a podcast. But what is that podcast? Are you introducing? I mean, I guess, yeah, it's, it is, is my it round, isn't it? Is it not? I think it might be my turn. Oh, oh no. You go then. Yeah. So, as you can see, Florian, we are well trained. <laughs> no, <podcast laughs> yes. Hosts. I've just been counting aphids for the past hour. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Science of Feeding the World. I'm Hannah McGrath. I'm Alex Dye. And I'm Gary Froon. And this week we are joined with plant genome engineer Florian. And our first question, Florian, is a nice easy one to start you off gently. <laughs> Can we feed the world with CRISPR? No. <laughs> not only. I think, I think it could help to feed the world, but it's it will not be the only solution. It's not a silver bullet, but it's... A uh, useful technique and could help us maybe on the way to feed the world. Okay, so this is probably because I, uh, this is probably a good point for us to kind of answer what CRISPR is. Um, I'm a kind of ecologist who skips around fields, um, so I know very little about CRISPR. So, do you want to perhaps explain yeah. how does CRISPR work and what's the kind of science background for someone who supposedly has done a biology degree but yeah, seems so, to have forgotten absolutely everything? So, to pitch, to pitch this at my level, imagine you're talking to someone who has a basic knowledge of science and then dumb it down until they're an infant. That's about the level I'm working on. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in the end, it's all about the DNA and the genes of uh, the plants or also other organisms. And um, the sequence of the genes basically determines um, how an organism functions, how it uh, looks like and um, how well it behaves in the environment and um, breeding and um, everything what we do nowadays to produce better plants. It all involves changes of genes. And um, also classical breeding is basically shuffling genes between two parental plants and hoping that there's a good output of this. But it used to be very difficult to um, very um, specifically target specific genes and change the sequences of these genes. And uh, So why yeah. does changing the sequence of the genes matter? Well, if you change the sequence of a gene, this organism will become different in a way. And um, you can think of many useful um, traits which are determined by genes. And um, if you change the genes, you might have a different output. So I was going to say, so DNA, you kind of have chunks of DNA that make the genes and then those genes kind of code for proteins and so if you yes. change the genes you change the proteins and then yes. you change by changing the proteins you change the, the an aspect of that yes. organism cool. it's also perhaps good to ask here then why is it that traditional breeding isn't able to produce very precise 
effects. If you've, um, you know, we've done a lot with traditional breeding. We've been able yes. to produce plants that produce bigger yields and are a bit hardier perhaps, but there's only so far we can really go with that. Yeah, I mean, traditional breeding brought us where we are at the moment. So, I mean, we can still feed most of the people on the planet and that's all due to, to traditional breeding. But um, we also need to find a way to feed more people in the future. And um, so we need all kinds of techniques that are there. And um, yeah, breeding is, is pretty useful, but it's not targeted in a way. Um, so you always mix, for example, two parental genomes and you might bring in some useful traits, but you also usually bring in traits which are not so useful. So if you crossed, say, a, uh, in a commercial wheat crop, um, a plant that has some good qualities with a, maybe a wild type relative that's got maybe some resistance that you want to bring in, you might accidentally also bring in some other qualities that you don't want yes, from that wild relative example, because you you're mixing to the yield then again yeah and reduce the, the yield again yeah. lose some of that stuff that you've spent the, the last yeah. hundred years putting into yes. it okay so um what um we can now do is to really look at one gene in particular that we are interested in for example a gene which is involved in resistance to a virus and where we know okay if hang on we, wait what plants can get viruses plants can get viruses yeah it's like uh, we are getting the flu also plants can get do you know what i have absolutely no idea why i just said that because that's what my phd is on <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna make a jingle of shame specifically for that moment shame 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 I am so sorry. <laughs> so plants can get colds. Plants can get colds, um, yeah. And um, it's always um, good if we find, for example, genes which are responsible. So, for example, a virus usually needs to enter the cell to um, have a bad effect on the plant. And usually it um, starts by enter by using, like, entry ports, basically, from which are the, from the plant itself, so like a protein or something on which it can uh, attach and then enter the cell. So if we are able, for example, to knock out the gene which produces that door for the virus, we might make a plant resistant to this virus. So... Oh, you, you was going to speak? Sorry. I was just going to say, so one of the other things I guess it's really useful for then, if it's very specific, we talked on one of the other podcasts about the fact that wheat has how many genomes? Three? Six? I can't remember. Polyploidy. It's, yeah, it's hexaploid, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a jargon buzzer. What's, what yeah. does hexaploid mean? So it basically means that every gene is there in six copies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and that's also what makes wheat very challenging when you work yeah. on the gene level. So with your previous example, if you've got that protein that's allowing the, the is the door for the virus, yes. you've got six copies of that yeah. in wheat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you were doing some traditional crossing you would have to, I mean, it would be very, very, yeah. what are the chances of actually knocking out all six? Uh, are very low. Very low. Yeah, very, but very can low. you target all six with CRISPR? Is that something? You can do that. I mean, if especially if they are um, very conserved, and usually they are very conserved. What do you mean? That means that all of these six have basically the same DNA sequence, um, mostly. Then you can um, target all of them at once mm-hmm. and hope to generate mutations mm. in all six cool. genes. And that's a big advantage. I mean, we had methods beforehand and they, they are all still existing, like 
you can randomly mutagenize plants. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> Jargon uh, buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> randomly so, mut- mut- mutagenize. So yeah. create mutations right. in a plant. Um, for example, if you just um, put the seeds of the plant um, uh, under radioactive... Uh, yeah, and the no, gamma rays. Gamma rays, yeah, gamma rays, yeah. Uh, so then you create mutations. I mean, yeah. that's what happened. Um, so this is, again, mutations in that DNA that yeah. codes for the, well, that yeah. makes mm. up the genes that then changes the yeah, proteins. Yeah, that's why we try not to get too close to um, gamma rays because um, it creates mutations, which can... We've be, all seen the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which can be more useful or less useful. But yeah, you can also create like this mutations in plants, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're lucky, you create a plant which is useful for you. If you're unlucky, the plant is not very happy and dies. And that's most of the cases the case. Um, But yeah, so we can by this also create mutated plants, but it's not targeted. So because we cannot predict where this gamma rays will create a mutation. And with CRISPR, um, we can now predict where we want to create a mutation and then create a mutation. So how you... So... How do you then target where you want to create the mutation? How does that work? What's the science behind that at the kind of DNA level? Yeah, so the the whole CRISPR system, you can kind of imagine it as a molecular scissor. So um, it consists of two components. It contains the scissor, which can cut DNA, and it contains basically of of a little guide for the scissor. So a... the guide is RNA, yes. right? Not and RNA. so how long is that sequence then to be? Because I guess if it's just three or four, then there'll be lots of locations in the DNA yeah. that would just by chance have that same sequence okay. and attach. So yeah. is, the, is the guide RNA? So the usual um, length of the target, um, which is like the specific part, um, is 20 base pairs okay. long. And that's usually sufficient to create a highly specific guide, um, mm-hmm. which is unique in the in the genome of the plant, and then um, yeah, we can target only the gene that we want to target, usually. Yeah. So to recap, we've got a kind of uh, protein complex yeah. uh, that's got a scissor in it and a kind of molecular um, kind of guide for that scissor, and then you kind of are looking for a 20-base pair. So kind of those are the A, T, C, and G, G. although if it's in yeah. RNA. S, U. Mm-hmm. So um, looking for that kind of base pair mm-hmm. length. And then that's how the um, scissor knows where to go and cut. Yes. So what? how does how does that? So if you okay, I'm going to go very basic with this one because <laughs> so if you've created this CRISPR, this this um, these scissors. How do you then get them where you want them to? How do you get them into the plant to to do what you want them to do? Ah, uh, we bring it in um, here via particle bombardment. So we basically... The have, gene gun. Is yeah, it? it's yeah. a gene gun, yeah. Mm. We have uh, little golden bullets uh, <laughs> which are coated with the genes and uh, then they are really shot into um, wheat embryos, if we work with wheat at least. And um, yeah, they are shot in there and then they release the DNA there, which is then can go into the cell. I guess you have to do that to lots of embryos and hope that some of them take yeah, it out. The kind of- yeah, yeah. So um, we have luckily a very um, skilled uh, transformation unit uh, for mm-hmm. this. So there are people working here who uh, are just working on transforming plants because it's a very 
specific technique and very difficult to um, perform. I'm really picturing like a James Bond scene with like a, a golden gun. The <laughs> 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 <a> gene gun. Like, <laughs> targeting baby wheat plants. I really like this scene of what's going on probably like what, 30 metres away from where we're sat? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just of, over there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> is, is CRISPR an acronym? It is an acronym. Uh, it's also not a, a very nice name, to be honest. Uh, it means uh, clustered regulatory interspace short palindromic repeats. So <laughs> I can see why it's an acronym. Yeah. <laughs> can you say acronym? that three times very quickly <laughs> for us? Um, the thing is, it is all derived from a bacterial defense mechanism against viral infections of bacteria. And um, these... This name basically de describes just some sequences which um, like scientists found in the genomes of bacteria and they couldn't really make sense of what they are. And so they just said, oh, they're repeats uh, and they are interspaced and they are clustered. So let's and call these sequences <laughs> yeah, clustered regulatory interspaced short polynomial repeats. Nobody cared about it for 30 years, really, so much. Mm. And then one found, uh, some other uh, scientists found out that you can use this whole system uh, for doing all these fancy things now. And uh, But yeah, we are stuck with the name out of the 80s. It's very complex <laughs> a game. Instead of calling it, I don't know, Gene Scalper, uh, James Bond, Golden <laughs> Maybe or something. So yeah, that's why it's called CRISPR. And that's why we use the acronym, because it's a very complex. Yeah. yeah. Um, whilst we were kind of uh, on the kind of topic, um, I love the drama. I love the reality TV. And when I was reading about CRISPR, it seems like there was a bit of drama around its creation, or maybe not its creation, but kind of like its deployment in like plants and animals. Is that something you know much about? Uh, yeah, there's. Um, so there are like two or three groups um, which kind of um, were like the big pioneers at the beginning um, of the of the whole field of applying the, this CRISPR technique to uh, gene editing purposes. And um, yeah, there's basically the group which wrote the first paper and then there's a group which made the first application in mammalian cells and their universities are now fighting since several years who owns the patterns for which applications which makes the whole uh, thing, especially for companies, a bit complicated to use because as long as the patent situation is not clear, it's sometimes difficult to um, to use technique. For us in academia, it's not so much a problem. We can, in academia, basically use everything. Um, but yeah, for it's more issue for companies than for, for mm. us here at the moment. Yeah. It's time for the rapid fire questions. It's time to ask some questions really, really fast. Do you want to do questions? We can rapid fire questions. questions. <laughs> you think you're like your viva when you finish your PhD was difficult, your defense, whatever. Um, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. Uh, for a grilling. <laughs> Just quick answer. Apples or oranges? Apples. What's your favourite dinosaur? That's um, a good answer to that one. Lying one. The pterodactyl. Yeah. Fish or chips? Chips. Chips, yeah. Good choice. Alpha helix secondary protein structure or beta beta pleated sheet secondary protein structure? Alpha helix. Mm, I think it was easier to answer that question than to ask it. <laughs> Hang on. Why alpha helix? It looks like a 
Slay. Oh, like a helter skelter. You I like it. Britney Spears or Jennifer Lopez? And Britney Spears. That that wasn't even (laughs) a moment's hesitation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Belgian beer or Dutch waffles? Mm. Dutch waffles. Uh, Post translational modifications or post transcript. Oh, flipping out. Right. <laughs> thing is, we I could give you. I came up with these questions. Um, you say so many Latin names of different insects all day, yeah, and but... as soon as we start asking about genetics, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair. Post-translational modifications or post-transcript. Oh, f- right. <laughs> uh, Modifications that happen after translation or before <laughs> silences that happen before the translation. <laughs> I don't oh, it's transcription. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. How many uh, genes are there in wheat? Or, or that's like a very specific question, but in a kind of compared with like a human or a banana, because I think there's. Well, I seem to be under the impression there's quite a lot of genes in wheat. Yes, um, I mean, wheat has a huge genome. So how do you know what to target, what gene to target, given Mm. there's so many? Mm. You need to first find out which gene is responsible for a specific trait. So there's a lot of research usually before we start to get into plants to improve them, Mm -hmm. because first somebody needs to discover, okay, for... The, for example, resistance to a virus, this gene is responsible. So there's a lot of research which needs to come together and then um, we can start applying this. For example, sometimes you find, I mean, we have model organisms in plants. When, For example, in plants, classical model organism is Arabidopsis, which is a small weed. And um, that, that's way easier to manipulate and people find out something useful there. And then we may want to translate this into wheat and wheat is more difficult to manipulate so we then use CRISPR to um, change a gene where it was shown in this model plant that it has a useful effect so this is the one way or we actually use CRISPR to find out the function of the gene because the idea is if we may make a gene dysfunctional and then we look how the plant changes and then we might draw conclusions okay this gene might be responsible for this so, so if you to put it to make it very uh, boneheaded, if you want, if you want, if you did that, stop like talking you said, about yourself, Alex. It's <laughs> uncalled for. So, <laughs> if you if you did that, like you say, um, and put the gene in just to, or, or damage the gene to see what it did, and then suddenly the plant's not growing leaves, mm-hmm. you say, okay, so that's the gene that does this. I mean, obviously, it's more complicated yes. than that, but in a very simple term, yeah, that's you the would kind say of this gene is at least involved in yeah. the formation of. Uh, just to change the topic a little bit, which is to say it, when you kind of read the news about CRISPR and GM and all of these sorts of things, especially the kind of um, you hear the views of opponents, one of the big things that comes up is off-target mm-hmm. effects and everybody's very worried about off-target mm-hmm. effects and things like that. Um, I just wanted to ask a little bit about kind of what they are, yes. what the risks are, why are people worried about those? Mm-hmm. Um so off-targets, um, the idea of off-targets is um, that when we give the instruction to our molecular scissor, then sometimes if there is a very similar region to our instruction in the plant, the scissor might not only cut where we want it to cut, but also in other similar regions. 
And this also happens. I mean, it, it's not like just a theory. It has been shown that mm -hmm. this happens. Um, this is, of course, especially if you think about CRISPR in gene therapy for humans or something. This is, of course, a big issue there because mm -hmm. you, if you do gene therapy, you want to correct a gene. You don't want that you correct maybe one gene, but you introduce mutations somewhere else. So for, for this field, it's very uh, dramatic uh, mm. and a big issue. Um, for plants, it's a bit different. So first, people work a lot on reducing these kind of off-targets. So since the whole CRISPR story started in 2012, I think, um, people are aware of that issue and they, for example, create better scissors, which are more accurate. So you can work with these better scissors, which kind of avoid uh, to cleave in or to cut in, in, in similar areas. Then you can also, when you design the experiments and you give the instruction, you look for these 20 base pair sequences, which are very unique in, in the whole, in all the genes of the, the plant that you are targeting. And also in plants, it's these off targets, even if they happen nowadays, we can, if we create a CRISPR mutant in theory, and we really, really want to bring it on the market. And it's super important that we have no off targets there. Uh, then nowadays it's also possible um, to sequence the whole genome of a plant. And then um, if you find off targets, then you could in plants back cross them. That means you bring, take a wild type plant and you take your mutant, you cross them, you generate offspring plants, and there you can cross out basically this off target. So in mm. plants it's possible. It's of mm. course not so easy with humans to cross out yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so when you say yeah, kind of like crossing plants, it's possible crossing when you say crossing plants you're kind of talking about literally getting one kind of ear of wheat and waiting for it to um flower mm -hmm. and then kind of uh, literally kind of moving the pollen from one plant to another plant to yeah. kind of pollinate you know cross pollinate mm, it's yes. like it's it's that's what yes. we mean by kind of crossing yes. outright so yeah plants uh have advantages like we can cross out stuff and mm. um yeah so and also yeah in most cases uh, a mutation at a different spot might not have an effect at all on the plant mm. if it's a small mutation and it's not likely to have an effect on us no, eating that plant or anything no, like that that, at all, no. in general not i mean that is also the, the story which was already happening with the classic gm mm. plants so we just because we eat a tomato with a foreign gene or with a mutation that it doesn't affect us because no. I mean we don't if we take up a fish gene mm -hmm. which we do when we eat fish we mm. do not become a fish <laughs> I mean we we are used to digest yeah, DNA yeah. information yeah. and so on um, I mean there are examples you could for example create a mutation in a gene and create an allergy or mm. something so if something becomes on the comes on the food market it needs testing and but that's why we do field tests that's why yeah. there are allergies allergen tests and stuff like this. this yeah. is happening. It doesn't always need testing because mutagenesis, right, has the mutagenesis yeah. exemption. Is that right in law? That yeah. um, you can bombard something with gamma rays and then it, it, it doesn't yeah. have to go through the same level of testing that yeah. a, a very much more precise technique like um Yeah, so CRISPR. usually there's GM plants or also CRISPR plants, which are in the European Union counted as mm. GM plants, um, or, or, yeah, which count as GM plants. They are usually better tested than... Mm. 
stuff which uh, plants which are derived from mutagenesis mm. or breeding also in breeding you can bring in genes which can have for example cause allergenic reactions in yeah. the product so mm. um, but they do not need this strict testing that um, do you think that's unfair um well it's at least not really there's no scientific reason for that it's, mm. uh, it's a very political decision um that we that we do not want in the european union these kind of plants um that i mean the the plant science community at least is pretty has a pretty clear opinion about this and especially now about the whole crispr plants mm. so there are a lot of science organizations like big science organizations which gave a lot of statements when this whole crispr discussion started if this gm or if it's not gm that um one should uh, adapt the European Union laws um, so that these CRISPR plants could come easy on the market because a lot of other countries also do it like this mm. now. We so there are CRISPR plants growing in, say, the United States? And they start this now, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's a pretty new technique still, so um, until there are a lot of plants on the market, it takes some time. But there are, there are tons of um, useful applications already, like in 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 some studies, in, in some labs, and some of them are also already getting on the market. So, like, I think soybean with better fatty acid compositions. And, yeah, there are, there are a lot of studies from labs which would be interesting to get on the market. Um, but, yeah, in the European Union, um, I don't know what um, will happen. Does that annoy you? Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> 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 to be honest, no. Um, I mean... Yeah, it it kind of annoys me because uh, yeah, because I have the feeling it's a uh, because there's no scientific base for that decision, and it makes. I mean, we all scientists that I know in this field, they are not evil company thing. What also is used often used as uh, argument in this whole GM discussion that it's all Monsanto or whatever they are. They are all scientists who do this job uh, because they want to improve agriculture. They want to improve sustainability. They want to use less pesticides, less herbicides. They want to increase nutritional value of crops. So they have good ideas, a lot of them. And a lot of stuff, in the, at least in the EU, might happen in the labs and in the greenhouse but it never ends up on the field. And they, it's a bit of, yeah, it's a bit frustrating to see that, that people who are really, really have good ideas and good intentions are, is, are like treated in a way that they want to do something harmful, which is definitely not what they want to do. Mm. So this is a, a bit the frustrating part when you, when you work in this, in this field. So. Mm. Says this, Harry says that. What is Harry saying? I've really been enjoying this chat, but I think we should move on to the next section now. Thanks. Can I ask a question? Yes. Mm. Is CRISPR easy? Mm, it's easy compared to what was there beforehand. Let's say it like this. It also has, has some challenges. Um, in general, working with plant has challenges on, on genomic level. Plants are also, they grow relatively slow. You take always... <laughs> Everything takes a lot of time, especially with wheat again. Um, but it's easier than everything what we had beforehand. And it's easier 
it's in general easy to use for every lab which has some basic molecular biology mm. possibilities. Is it easy enough to do at home? Um, I think, mm -hmm. in, especially in the US, they have this biohacking. I've seen, scene, yeah, that's right. And yeah. I think it's not very popular in, in Europe, but uh, yeah, they have some kits which um, are sent to people at. Uh, okay. Are they CRISPR kits? I didn't know which um, technique they use these kits. I think I they, yeah, yeah. But I, okay. I'm not sure. I'm, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I'm not on that biohacking mm. scene. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in the US, you have some stuff, but I think it's, I think it's not about. And I think you don't edit plants there. Okay. They edit something else. Mm. I mean, you have these conferences where there are some crazy biohackers who inject themselves. Some, yeah. Some stuff and so on. <laughs> yeah. These are... Not recommended. Nah, I wouldn't. That is just trying, to, just trying to create superhumans, isn't it? That's X-Men. Yeah, yeah. That's the first step. Yeah. That's the first step. So this is all kind of around the topic of kind of the ethics about it. And mm -hmm. one of my questions is, um, so particularly when it comes to um, editing, so, you know, particularly dangerous or um, harmful diseases in kind of like uh, human fetuses or embryos, we're kind of very clear that there should be quite rigorous um, ethical clearances and protocols that, that must be followed. Um, what kind of uh, ethical and... Uh, ethical or security clearances or uh, kind of checks that do you have to do as a kind of plant scientist? Because I'm guessing there's still quite a lot of paperwork and forms to be filled in. Mm, well, um, there are paperwork and forms to be filled in as soon as you work with GM plants and their risk assessment forms and so on. Um, in general, like if we talk about legislation on country level or European Union level, um, I think CRISPR should, so a different name for CRISPR is precision breeding because in the end it's a bit what it is. You you do breeding but more precise, so you change only in the end the genes which the plant already have and you um, do it way more precisely with than classical breeding. So it should be more compared to the rules which also um, are used for classical breeding and these um, breeding techniques which are exempt from the GM uh, legislation like um, the mutagenesis mm. breeding and stuff like this. This might be a controversial question and maybe a question that some people need to hear. <laughs> are we already eating GM food? I think um, a lot of us are uh, GM food because you can get processed food with GM ingredients. So if mm. you eat any Reese chocolate mm. and you look on the back, you will see produced from genetically modified, yeah. uh, I don't know, Peanuts, yeah. peanuts, soybeans, and yeah. pop tarts. Like I always eat, I always get GM pop tarts. Yeah. So, so some of the stuff that you get in the, but it's always processed food. So mm. I don't think we, um, and we import, of course, a lot of feed for animals like soybean and so on, which is in most cases genetically modified. So, isn't uh, the sweet potato a case of genetic modification a, that's occurred in nature? Yeah, but it's, it's basically, natural, this, yeah. Um, but it's GM by the plant. same yeah, definition. It contains plants, uh, it contains genes which were originally not in the sweet potato mm -hmm. and it acquired them. And a lot of these kind of cases become nowadays um, more and more, um, they are discovered now because mm. it gets cheaper and cheaper to sequence the genetic information of organisms. Mm. So, and that's how people find out, oh, there's some stuff which looks weird. It doesn't really belong to a plant. But mm. then they find out, oh, this plant is a natural transgene. 
So these borders between what is natural, what is not natural, they are maybe not so strict in nature mm -hmm. even. So uh, when we think we do something super artificial, in the end, we we imitate stuff which is yeah. happening in nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We make mostly mm. use of systems which need uh, nature created, like CRISPR. Mm. It's mm. also an oh, invention nice. from nature. Mm. We just make use of it. That's, I didn't know that. Mm. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Does seeing bottles of water labelled as GMO free piss you off? <laughs> it pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This whole GM labelling. I mean, as you, as we speak, Alex is uh, studying <laughs> his water bottles. Check. <laughs> I think it's more so in somewhere like the states. Mm. Um, yeah, you still find it, and in Germany, you find it more often. So a lot of the supermarket chains have um, started to label stuff as GM free. Um, also. Yeah, you see it on cheese, on milk, and, and whatever. Um, for me, it's always, as a vegetarian, I don't like to see on a cheese GM-free because it means that they have this cultures to produce the cheese other than from calf stomachs instead mm. of genetically, and uh, like from genetically... So the rennet that you yeah. used to... So um, I prefer to find cheese without that label. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, this whole labeling thing... It's like, I think a lot of consumers think that that would be more healthy if it's GM-free, but that's not the case. Mm. So it's a bit of a mis misleading stuff. And especially if you label label stuff like water where there is no equivalent which has GM in it. So mm. water doesn't have genes. Same, mm. there is GM-free salt. Also salt doesn't have genes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just misleading for consumers. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm really surprised, Gary, you didn't go off on the rant. I'm, I'm trying to keep it down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Gary has very similar feelings to you about the whole yeah. naturalness of food. Yeah. So, CRISPR, just because we can do it, does that mean we should do it? Well, not in every case, of course. So, and I, I think, so for me, it's, it's always a bit tricky with this whole do we use GM or do we not use GM? It, so we are very much focusing on technical aspects. So shall we use this way of breeding? Shall we use this way of genetically modifying a plant? But I would really like that kind of, there would be a legislation which creates aims like sustainability aims or like, oh, we want to create plants which need 20% less fertilizer whatever and then you have like a kind of competition of the best ideas how to get there and i don't really understand why we focus so much on the techniques and not so much on the aims because mm. especially the i mean the the classically anti-gm um parties and so on that's usually the green party that's usually greenpeace and whatever and usually these people have in 90% of the cases, very similar goals to what the scientists here, the agricultural scientists have. And for me, this is one of these, what makes this whole discussion difficult, even though it should make it more easy, because we have usually similar goals of sustainability and more sustainable agriculture. But it's kind of certain, we are talking way too much about if we should um, forbid some ways to get there and so on, instead of just focusing mm. to get 
to get the thing done and to work towards maybe together with or with different ways to a more sustainable agriculture. That, I suppose, leads quite nicely on to how does CRISPR then fit into feeding the world, the science of feeding mm. the world? Yeah, let's, let's go back to the... The big question. So we kind yeah. of, we, we, circle back. we started with kind of asking you, so can we feed the world with CRISPR? And I suppose a better question would be, a better question would be, how can CRISPR help feed the world? Mm. Yeah, it's it's just one piece of the puzzle, puzzle I think, to, to feed the world. So it's, it's a very useful technique. It's, um, yeah, as I said in the beginning, it's not the silver bullet. It cannot solve all problems, and um, but it can help. So it can help in creating more disease-resistant plants. It can help in creating plants which are enriched with, with more nutrients, with more vitamin C, which have a, plants which have a longer shelf life so that will reduce food waste. It can There are a lot of applications, a lot of very useful applications. So um, if I can make a bit of advertisement, actually. <laughs> so um, <Plug. laughs> uh, I'm uh, connected to a, to a group of young German scientists and also Green Party members. And actually, the Green Party um, is actually discussing a lot since this CRISPR stuff is coming up. And also some NGOs are discussing a lot. Uh, how they should handle these, uh, if it's if they should oppose it as much as the OGM techniques or not. And in this group, um, some of us have created a CRISPR um, advent calendar. So mm -hmm. uh, every day, they um, you can open a door and uh, like uh, not a door. Uh, how do you call it? Please, is it? Yeah, it's a door. door. Yeah, yeah. In okay, yeah, you can open the door and there's a um, nice CRISPR application, which is like based on some scientific paper. And there are really a lot of very useful uh, CRISPR applications, which are already out there and it's publications. So it's not like the future ahead. And this is all like, yeah, enhanced vitamin C content. Um, you have um, plants which um, have different starch content so that are, they are more useful for industry. So you can create plants where the pots do not burst so easily so that it's better that, that you do not lose all the stuff in the field. Well, that's a and... huge problem in oilseed rape. Yeah. If there's a yeah. thunderstorm before harvest um, and it heavily rains because the, really? the, the pods have dried out, if it rains really hard, the seeds will drop wow. to the floor. So you like you spend all of this time really carefully growing the plant and then because the pods aren't hard yeah. enough, a bit of rain. Wow. So yeah, farmers will always, yeah, you'll yeah. see them rushing to get the oil seed rape in before it rains. So yeah, I can imagine cool. immediately, you know, if you could say to a farmer, look, you're going to you lose less pods. Yes, you have a lot of these uh, small applications of specific problems. And because CRISPR is, so the, the <coughs> application of CRISPR, so creating a CRISPR-edited plant is relatively cheap. So if it's also easy to get it on the market, you can work with a lot of more niche problems, more niche plants, not only maize, soybean, and so on, but also like stuff like oil seed grape and um, strawberries or whatever. Um, carrots? Carrots, mm. even carrots, yeah. <laughs> uh, then um, you can work with local varieties in, in theory and so on. So it, uh, it because it's relatively easy to use and relatively cheap to produce, you can work in a lot of systems, and that's also the good thing about it. So, yeah. Is this advent calendar available? It's available online. Um, and I can 
if you're link. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll put the link in the description. And you yeah, put the yeah. link in the description. No, it's it's a really nice thing and show, showcases a bit um, what mm. is possible nowadays already with with CRISPR and it shows some applications. Cool. Can we find you online? You can find me online. Yeah. You so can find me on you know, Twitter, for example. Uh, what's your What's your handle? Uh, it's that's not a cool one. To, <laughs> they don't to, have to, to be to cool ones. One. No. <laughs> Uh, at, at Florian Noob Sniper. Golden Gun Florian. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, we can put it in the description. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. And um, yeah, I uh, usually show some stuff from CRISPR experiments or from the life at Rothamsted or um, yeah, what's going on here. <laughs> We have asked Florian <laughs> to describe his science using only the 1,000 most common English words. So, I write in the Book of Life to help little trees to deal with problems and become better. Ah, oh, that's really what? good. <laughs> that's quite smart. <laughs> that may be the best one yet. That's your really handwriting good. as well. It, it looks nice as well. Yeah. Can we take a photo of that, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, and we've attempted to do this as well to prove that we've understood what Florian has beautifully explained to us in this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> Alex? I've got to follow that. I've put, uh, I had to substitute, okay. Change things in trees so they're better. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had to say trees, trees because, because plants is not plant. in the thousand words. Crop, yeah. Wow. Okay, or crop or anything of the sort. <laughs> Hannah? I just... <laughs> and this could be true for all of these podcasts, is making our food better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's... A, I'm just lazy. Lazy. <laughs> and I had rewriting cell plans. That was the closest I could get to Ooh, a blueprint good. for I think the if, cell. You, if you put our threes together, we'd almost yeah. get there. Right, yeah, there. there. Yeah. So that has been this week's episode about how we can feed the world using CRISPR technology. Thank you to our guest, Florian. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And goodbye from me, Hannah. And from me, Alex. And from me, Gary. Bye. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. We can edit it. You can yeah. just say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Ooh. science. <laughs> you are listening to a podcast. But what is that podcast? It's the science of feeding the to the Science of Feeding the World podcast. We would like it very much if you would like, subscribe and share. And if you want to get in touch, you can get us on Twitter at SFDW Podcast, or if you just search for the Science of Feeding the World on Instagram or Facebook, you'll get us there as well. 